0: Good to be with you. Uh, We had a sweet weekend, last uh, weekend, mission weekend. Chris Copp coming, uh, speaking to us, just convicted and challenged by his word. Uh, It was a sweet time together. Uh, But if I haven't met you yet, I'm Justin, one of the um, pastors, elders here at Peninsula Grace, and we're going to resume walking through the book of Ephesians. We've been doing that here for a couple of months, and we're going to continue on. And interestingly, today, uh, we're talking about the passage on marriage. Now, I recognize the interesting dynamic here of a marriage talk on Super Bowl Sunday, and I don't know what kind of friction is in your home over all the details here. I know there's a little bit in the Frankino house. Uh, so maybe today's passage is what theologians call divine providence, uh, or a football coach is called a prevent defense. So uh, we'll just see how that works for you. But uh, if you have, this is, a, this, is a, this is a hard passage, controversial passage. And I know even in this room, we're not all going to line up on, on this in the same exact way. It's like, I know that. I know some of you in that. So, I'm going to get people mad at me over here, and I'm going to get people mad at me over here, but at least we're going to, you know, spread it out. Um, But what I want to do because of the nature of this, and let's just, I want to start with a word of prayer. So would you pray with me? Father God, uh, my prayer is just that I would be a window to your word that we would look at what you have told us. And Father, may we, each of us, try to, uh, by your Holy Spirit's power, take off some of our assumptions and just see what you say in this text, not just to see the truth, but Lord, even more deeply to see you. And your beauty and your goodness, would you tenderly challenge and convict where we need to be challenged and convicted, and would you encourage and lift our chins up where we need to be encouraged? So Father, we give this time to you that your word is what will not return void, and I would just preach it well for your glory, by your grace, in your son's beautiful name, all God's people said. Jill and I were married June the 8th. 2019, just a little over three and a half years ago now, we stood there and we made a vow, a covenant to one another, to love each other till death did us part. Now that's a big vow, right? It's a scary commitment. So I said, you first, All right? know, <laughs> That's not how. Uh, what does it mean to love someone? Like we use that word a lot in Bible world, but like what does that actually I mean, a, a biblical definition that's been so helpful to me uh, has been from John Mark Comer, pastor in Oregon. He says, love is a compassionate commitment to delight in the soul of another and to will, desire, will that person's good ahead of your own, no matter the cost to yourself. So when I stood there and I made a vow to Jill, I was saying, Jill, I'm promising to delight in who you are, and to will your good ahead of my own, no matter the sacrifice, no matter what it costs me. And I've just been nailing it every day since. Like, it's just, you make the promise and stick, (laughs) by God's, she's not in here, so I could get away with that one, this second service, by God's grace, and God's grace alone, we are daily learning the beautiful and extremely messy process, how to love one another in this way. Then, March 21st, 2022, almost 11 months ago, Jill and I brought Lucy Joy into the world. Before Lucy was born, Jill and I loved each other, right? We enjoyed each other. We enjoyed our quiet, full nights of sleep. <laughs> Those were so good. Um, and Lucy now is a tangible expression of the love that Jill and I have for one another, that she was created out of love for love, that we created Lucy to to love Lucy, to delight in her and to will her good ahead of our own, and that she would love us as well. this is a picture of, of the bigger story that we're in, that before any of us were around, before the world was even created, God himself was love. Now you think, but according to our definition, how can God delight in another or will someone else else's good ahead of his own if it's only him there, right? How could God be love if it was only God? Well, this invites us into the beautiful mystery. And we're going to read a, a statement, a creed later on in the service together that talks about some of this. But this is our God, we believe the Bible teaches, is a three-in-one God, a trinity. That is the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. One God, but three persons, and so what we have here is the Father delighting in the Son. And the Son delighting in the Spirit. The Spirit delighting in the Father. You have a selfless love contained within the person of the Godhead himself. And even before we were there, then you and I, like Jill and I with Lucy, were created out of love for love. That We were a tangible expression of God's love within himself and created as we bear his image to love God as he first loves us and to love one another. Now what's interesting is as humans come onto the scene to bear his image in this way, look at, what, look at the language of Genesis 1 in particular. It says God created human beings in his own image. In the image of God he created them, male and female he created them. So w- notice when God when, when, when the Bible first talks about us being created in God's image he references maleness and femaleness to rightly reflect his image that they were different right a male and a female two different things and yet they are equally bearing God's image now our world today uh, often tries to minimize or, or even eliminate some of these differences but what scripture teaches is that we don't have the full image of our God if we don't have male and female and This three-in-one God of love uh, is, is, is shown in, the, in this way. And just like the Trinity, right? Different roles. The Father is not the Son. The Son is not the Spirit. The Spirit's not the, the Father, right? Different roles, but they are one God. Different, but equal. And then we see this playing out in, in, in relationships as well, that God, God's purpose for man and woman are different roles, but equal values. To enjoy and embrace those God-designed differences and roles. That the husband is called to lovingly come alongside and lead his wife. The the wife to lovingly come alongside and partner with her husband. And just like the Trinity and us to God, we're to to delight in and selflessly give ourselves to one another. As the two become one, but you know the story. Genesis 1 quickly turns sideways into Genesis chapter three, right? When Adam and Eve bite into that fruit, love becomes replaced with fear. And instead of delighting in and enjoying giving themselves to God and to one another, that love is replaced with mistrust. It's it's, it's replaced with self-protection. It's it's replaced with a blame shifting and and a hiding from God and each other. And that joyful unity that God intended is replaced with a conflicting division and that spreads throughout the the human race. But instead of enjoying each other and embracing these differences, husbands and wives began to ignore these roles. And we see the husband being either, either too passive or too aggressive. We see the, the wife not trusting or respecting her husband. And each of our families, right, we've all experienced, my family, Jill and I, we've experienced and are experiencing the effects of this fall. And you and your family and your relationship, you have and are experiencing these effects. Each family has been plagued in, in different ways, but we've experienced divorce We've experienced abuse. We've experienced affairs, yelling, cold wars, bitterness, and mistrust. And in that, as sinners, we are not showing the world, the Trinity, God's selfless, giving love that delights in the other. But Christ came. In him and him alone, we can become the visible expression of God's love on earth once again. We've been working through this book of Ephesians, Paul's letter to the church at Ephesus. And today we're looking at the longest section of marriage in the Bible. It's also super controversial. Like if you have your taboo Bible bingo cards, we're filling it out today. got men's and women's roles, husbands and wives, submission. Like, I got a bingo here, right? I'm good. This is a hard passage. And now also, if you're not currently married, you might be able to be like, sweet, I'm just going to check out on this one. Scroll through Facebook and look at the Super Bowl pregame show. Rihanna's not on yet. Just relax, okay? Um, To understand this passage, we we actually, we're going to see it applies to all of us. But as good Bible readers, we need to look at the context. So we've been saying that in this book, Paul is saying in the first three chapters, here's who we are now in Christ. that we've been rescued from the grave and we are one new family in him. Therefore, chapter four, verse one, the last three chapters are saying, how do we live this out? As a new family, what does our love relationship look like with our God, with one another, and as light shining in this dark world? And he began chapter 5 this way. He said, therefore, be imitators of God as dearly loved children and walk in love as Christ also loved us and gave himself for us a sacrificial and fragrant offering to God. Do you see it? God created us out of love for love as we bear his image. And how do we love? He says, like Christ loved us. Sacrificial love that is sweet in the nostrils of our God. And then in chapters five and six, he's gonna walk this out. What does this this kind of love look like in our homes? Marriage and and children, what does it look like in workplaces? What does it look like in our body? And he just kind of unpacks that. And the point that I see, if I could boil it down to one thing that I see in the text today, it's this, that marriage is ultimately about Jesus. Marriage is ultimately about Jesus. It's designed to show the world not just the love between a husband and a wife, but between Jesus, our bridegroom, and his love for the church, his bride. And that's why I believe this passage is applicable for any single person in this, any single person, see what I did there, I was an accident, any of us in this room today. Right? We're all over the spectrum here. And this point, the point of the passage is not how to have the perfect marriage in three easy steps, right? Because that's not a thing, so don't worry. It's that our marriages are a spotlight to reveal the love of God in and through Jesus to a watching world. I see three, um, three things in the text that I want, that I want to highlight this morning, three co- calls. The first one is to love one another. Now classically, uh, even the heading of the Christian Standard Bible, which I have, not uh, keep your Bibles out in front of you today, but um, up on the screen here, you see the kind of the heading, wives and husbands, and it started in verse 22, wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord. But actually, I think in context, we need to start one verse earlier. And in verse 21, it says, submitting to one another in the fear of Christ. And what's super important here, because really, let's be honest, the word submit here is the one that we usually get hung up on. Like, this is the stumbling block of the passage. So whatever it means for a wife to submit to her husband, we are also called, and in the context here, Paul's talking to the church, to submit to one another. This is a command for all of us. So what does this mean? Well, in the the New Testament, they're actually riffing off of a military term. It means to put oneself under in rank. So it's to consider the other person your superior. So they say jump, and I say how high. Now, I've got new hips, so be realistic about your expectations, but I'm going to do my best, right? You say jump, I say how high. Now, what this doesn't mean is that that person is more valuable than me. It doesn't mean that they are stronger or smarter or good, better looking than me because they're probably not, right? <laughs> God's not ranking Christians like, like some side of, kind of weird church fantasy draft. Like, I will take them before them and I like them more than them. That's not, this is not talking about value. This is talking about order. Our God is a God of order, not a God of chaos. And so he's created a world that reflects that. And we have different roles in our world. And to step out of that role is to introduce chaos and rebellion. So we see this all over scripture, right? We see biblical examples of, of us as citizens called to submit to the government in Romans 13. We're, we're seeing children, and be, this will be next week, right? Uh, children submitting to their parents. Slaves submitting to their masters. Or even a, a modern day translation of employees, uh, employees to employers. And here what we see is a call to submit to one another. So what does that look like? How do we live that out? Well, I love the picture that Paul paints in Philippians chapter 2 of what it means to consider the other person superior in rank. Look at what he says. This is, this is having the same love. That's the context. This is the love that you're going to have. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or conceit. That's to see me as your superior and you do what I say. He says, no, the opposite in Christ. But in humility, consider others as more important than yourself. Everyone should look not to his own interests, but rather to the interests of others. He says, this is what love looks like. If I see someone in need, I see a brother or sister in financial need, I am to consider as though it's my own financial need and to give to them. To love them. Maybe maybe you see someone who's hurting. And 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 it's, there's a sacrifice of giving my time and energy to listen to them, to drop what I'm doing, and, and, and to weep with those who are weeping. There's a cost there. That's why love is no matter they're good, no matter the cost to myself. And really, this is what it looks like for the spirit of Christ to live in us and control our decisions. That's what he said back in verse 18. This is what it looks like to be filled with the Spirit. Because let's consider the example of Christ. When Christ came to this earth, what did he do? He humbly, as God of the universe, submitted himself to mankind. As a child, he submitted himself to Mary and Joseph. And then his dad became his own carpenter boss, right? That's probably always easy to have your dad be your boss. He submitted to the government, right? What did he say about the Roman government? Give to Caesar what is Caesar's. He submitted the Jewish leadership. He always, he never, he's the only human, right, that's never broken God's law, right? And ultimately, he submitted himself to the Father himself. He said, not my will, but yours be done, no matter the cost to myself. And it cost him his life. Like Jesus, we are called to delight in the souls of those around us and to will their good ahead of our own, no matter the cost to ourselves, even and probably especially when it's hard, when it hurts, when it involves sacrifice. Each of us submitting to one another in love. Then, if that's the context that he then goes to number two. The wives are called to love their husbands. With that context in mind, look at verse 22. Wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord. Because, here's the reasoning, the husband is the head of the wife. As Christ is the head of the church, he is the savior of the body. In the end of the passage, he says the wife is to respect her husband. And with Bibles open, I want us to carefully see what is Paul saying and what is he not saying. I'll start with what I do believe he is not saying. Submission and respect are not, are not, number one, it does not mean the wife is a mindless doormat, This does not mean the wife just silently agrees with and and does every single thing that comes out of her husband's mouth. That you just turn the brain off, cook, clean, and bear children, and you say nothing but yes, dear. Try that. And let me know how it works, okay? <laughs> That'll keep me in business. Um, that'd be great. And then the second thing that's not is a call for all women to submit to all men. This is important. The context here is wives, submit to your husbands. Now, yes, there's a mutual submission that we consider each of the other brothers and sisters before ourselves. But as far as her following her husband's lead, if you're a woman in this room, you're not called to follow the lead of every man. It's the wife following her husband's lead. See the difference there? That's important. The next thing is this is not an issue of value. This is an issue of role. So I would say it this way. We are equal partners, but we're not equivalent partners. There's a difference. that We bear God's image equally before him. And yet, just like, I mean, this is the other relationship. A child is not the parent, right? The employee is not the employer. The husband is not the wife, and the wife is not the husband. That God created them differently for a reason. And that leads us to our last point. Submission and respect is not outdated or oppressive. And this is where I would humbly, I would probably get some pushback from some of you, but I, listen, some, some of us say, hey, we're enlightened now. We know better than that now. They were living in a patriarchy back there, or they didn't treat women well. And we'll, we'll talk about that in a minute. But when Paul refers to some of these orders, he goes back to the creation design. And what we see here, and we have to trust our God, even when it doesn't make sense, and especially today when the culture is pushing so hard against this, is to trust that our God's design of order is actually for our flourishing. It's not to oppress us. It's to free us to be the people that God originally intended us to be. So what does this look like? What is submission and respect? The first thing I see in this text is that it's following your husband's lead. Notice... Verse 22, wives submit to your husbands as to the Lord. Now as, as here's your comparison, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives are to submit to their husbands and everything. And I know there's a lot of talk about cultural context and whatever, but here's my problem. If we start soft peddling what it means for a wife to submit to a husband, we also have to start soft peddling the comparison of Christ submitting to the church. Like, I can't go there. Now, this won't look the same for every couple. Like, do you notice here? He doesn't, like, line out exactly how this plays out. And I think as many personalities and marriages there are in this room, this will play out a little bit differently for each one. Like, my mom has a strong personality, right? I don't know where I get mine from. Uh, But she, and then how cool it is to watch her and my dad play that out in their marriage. Not perfectly, but they play it out. And so you think about this, for example, like, in decision-making, I believe we're, we're equal partners, and so I believe the decisions should be made together as much as possible, right? But there will be times when you can't agree. There'll be times where there'll be a log jam. And I think the call here is for the wife to say, sweetheart, I'm following your lead, right? Following your lead. I also see here that it is a healthy reverence and deference to defer to your husband. It says the wife is to respect her husband. And this means that the wife should only think about her husband, speak about her husband, and speak to her husband in terms that are honoring and respectful. And remember, Ephesians 4, this is the call for all of us, right? We should only speak. The only thing that comes out of our mouth should be what builds up, not what tears down. And and so so the call for the wife is to only think about and speak about her husband in ways that honor him, even when he doesn't necessarily deserve it. Then finally... I believe this is an act of trusting Jesus. This is an act of trusting Jesus. Because sisters, some of you might be saying, but you don't know my husband. I mean, you don't know what kind of a jerk he is. You don't know how bad he's treated me. You don't know, he's not even a believer, right? Again, we're following the steps of Jesus. And what would Jesus do? When we think about his, his life, Jesus spoke hard words to power he spoke back to the to the author always respectful but he spoke back to the authorities Jesus removed himself from dangerous situations he knew his father's time for him to die but he also, how many times did the mobs come after him to kill him And next thing you know Jesus is out of there right he's vanished And Jesus ultimately submitted himself to his father's will. And if a human authority ever told him to do something that contradicted his father's will, he knew where his ultimate allegiance lies. And so sometimes, sometimes in marriage, sisters, this might mean speaking a hard word to your husband. You can do that, still honoring, still respecting, but it might be time to speak up and say something. Or get somebody else involved and step into counseling, whatever it is. This also might mean removing yourself from a dangerous situation. There is terrible pastoral counseling out there right now that would just say, suffer well, take the beatings, and continue on. And that is a lie from hell. Your husband, if he's hurting you, if he's abusing you, and I know there's a spectrum there, you need to get out geographically, you need to get out physically, and get some help. That's why we're here as a body. We will help you. It also means that you're ultimately obeying your heavenly Father first. And if your husband ever says or coerces you to do something that your heavenly Father speaks directly against in his word, we know where our allegiance lies. And we will back you on that. But and we're all going to face hard things. Maybe you're just in a tough marriage. Maybe you're just in a, you know, wherever. But here, let's think about again Jesus' example. Jesus faced death on the cross. And ultimately, he trusted not those Roman soldiers, not the Pharisees, not his own disciples. He trusted the Father and the Father alone. He said, you have my best interest at heart. And whatever I go through, whatever I endure. And Jesus went through suffering, not around suffering. He went through the cross, not around the cross we said, my father has me in his grip and he will never let me go. And sisters, he loves you just as much. We are not trusting our human bridegrooms. We're trusting our heavenly bridegroom to lead us, to protect us, to be faithful to us, even when things are hard. And isn't that that applies to every situation in our lives, right? First Peter 3 says in the same way: wives submit to your husbands, to your own husbands so that even if some disobey the world, the word, excuse me, so if the husband's not a believer or he's out of step with what God says, they may be won over without a word by the the way their wives live when they observe your pure, reverent lives. We live in a way that says, Jesus, I'm gonna love my husband as you've called me to, no matter how hard, trusting you ultimately, not him. Third call is for the husband to love their wife. And we'll do this just like Christ did, suffering for us. Love your wife. Oops, I accidentally did number two. It's supposed to be number three. Um, In Paul's culture, there was a time when it was a common morning prayer for Jewish men. Okay, you ready for this? It said, God, thank you that I am not a Gentile, a slave, or a woman. All right, now, fellas, if you're curled up with your girl, your wife, let's speak, uh, before bed, and you're praying together, and you just want to think of like a sweet prayer to kind of end the day on, on a high note, and just make her feel how much you love her, I, I don't recommend this one. I don't, don't. Pick another one. A lot of good prayers out there. This is not one of them, right? It's it's, it's racist. It's sexist. It's got it all, right? Um, now, here's the deal: women in that day were often viewed as objects, not as people they had virtually no legal rights in the day. And by the way, that spoke against God's heart and against God's law, not in line with it. So what, what Paul wants to talk to here is what authority looks like. You know, actually, that's what would have offended them and shocked them. When he calls the wife to submit or children to obey their parents, That wouldn't they were, they were all on board with that. But what he's about to say is what would have turned some heads. See, Jesus here and Paul, writing on behalf of God, doesn't remove the role of leader. He doesn't say there is no leadership in the house, there is no leadership in in government. What he does is he actually redefines it. Because the world wanted to say it's heavy-handed domineering over, and Jesus showed us the better way of sacrificial serving under, to care for those you're leading, not bossing them around. And this is actually, he spends most of the time talking to the guys. This is what he has to say. Husbands, love your wives just as, here's your comparison, Christ loved the church and gave himself for her to make her holy, cleansing her with the washing of water by the word. He did this to present the church to himself. In splendor, without spot or wrinkle or anything like that, but holy and blameless. In the same way, husbands are to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hates his own flesh, but provides and cares for it, just as Christ does for the church, since we are members of his body. So, a couple things that this is not a call to, husbands. Number one, it's not, to care and love for your wife is not abdication. It's a big word that means failure to fulfill or undertake a duty or responsibility. And my experience has been, this is actually the error that more husbands tend to make. It's to disengage, to shirk and ignore the responsibility of loving and caring for our wife and our children. Following a quote from a wife says, my husband hasn't made a decision regarding our family in two years. He doesn't decide how to disciple or discipline the children. That's all left to me. He never consults me about taking out-of-town work assignments. He comes and goes seemingly without any regard for my feelings and the children's needs. They don't even know him. All he does is come home from time to time and break our routine before leaving again. I don't have three children. I have four. Imagine if that's how Jesus led us. And honestly, I mean, like, I can see this tendency in my own heart. Like, I, I get the, the, the selfish bend from my old nature still got its hooks in me. And I can come home after a day at work and just want to do what I want to do, right? My natural inclination is not always that how do I serve Jill and Lucy? But the call here is to a responsibility that we cannot just ignore if we want to. Second thing here is domination. Now, this should go without saying, but sadly... Been a pastor long enough now to know that they can't go without saying. We are not called to lead with a domineering, heavy hand. We're not barking orders, not treating our wives as objects, and we never, ever lay a hand on our wife out of anger or to control that is not to lead like Christ that is to lead like satan himself so what is the call called love and care is and i would summarize what paul says here in this way to delight in your wife and to desire her good and growth ahead of your own to delight in our wives and to delight in or to desire their good and growth ahead of our own it says here Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her to make her holy and beautiful. In the same way, husbands are to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. See, Paul flips their culture's view of leadership on its head and says women are to be valued and cherished and cared for the same way as what? As Christ loves Us, his church, and how did he love us? He died for us. He gave up his life to make us beautiful and whole. Husbands are called here to be engaged, to be present, to be actively involved in caring for their wife. How can I help my wife see Jesus in deeper ways? How can I help my wife savor Jesus in deeper and more beautiful ways? Now notice here, Paul doesn't, the command of the husband is not, husband, rule your wife. Husband, exercise authority over your wife. He says, husband, love your wife and give yourself to her. That's what he wants us to focus on. And he says, as our own body, because no one ever neglected his own body. When I have a scratch, I'm not like, hmm, what should I do, right? I itch it. He says, it should become as instinctive. If we both have an itch, I'm gonna itch Jill's first. Now, she's probably like, dude, get off me, I'm gonna itch my own scratch, right? It's an analogy, right? It all breaks down, It's fine. But what we see here is, you go back to the decision-making for the, the tiebreaker thing. So if, if, so if, if the husband kind of has the, the, this tiebreaker leading responsibility, here, here's where, what Paul says about that. If I'm caring for my wife, if I'm actually giving her preference to my own needs then I'm going to make the decision going toward what I think she might prefer, what she would want. So we did this a couple, just a couple days ago. Jill and I had to have an early Valentine's Day getaway because Tuesday we're busy. We're going to be voting all day. You know, It just won't work. Um, and so we, we, were, we were driving. I'm like, you know, where do you want to go? And she says, well, I'd like to get some pizza. I said, all right, me too. That's great. I love you. I'm so glad I married you. So I said, well, where do you want to go for pizza? we got this place and this place. I'm not going to name names because both owners attend our church, in fact, are in the building right now. Um, so we're making this call. And and she says, "Well, I don't know, but I know." So, she says, "I don't want to make the decision, right? Like it's up to you from this point." Now, I know my wife loves cheese. Like it's me, Lucy, cheese, right? Like that's how she rolls. And so, I said, "You know what? I think this one." And again, doesn't matter which one is more cheesy. And so, let's go this direction, right? So, you see how we're mutually submitting to deferring to one another, right? She's considering me, and I'm in that decision making cuz she actually it was a gift to her to make the kind of the final decision, right? I wasn't doing that heavy-handedly, but I was thinking about her, and what a sacrificial loving act <laughs> to eat pizza where my, where my wife wanted to go, right? Just make crowns in heaven, right? Just... But we're called, we're called, much harder decisions, to consider our wives' needs and preferences before our own, and ultimately, Jesus showed us what the picture of loving sacrificial leadership looks like. When the world said you do it by getting power over them, Jesus said, no, 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 no. I'm gonna become the king of kings, how? By dying, by sacrificing my life so that my loved ones may have it. And man, if, think about it, guys. If we love our wives in this way, how easy will it be for them to respect us and follow our lead? And wives, if we're respecting and honoring coming alongside our husbands in this way to support them, how easy will it be for them to delight in you and serve you? Now, the key is, as you're hearing this today, don't think, man, I hope my spouse really heard that. I really hope they apply that, right? I know, I know. I see some elbows. It's all good. But listen, I don't get to control my spouse. (laughs) I control me. And so the question is, how do I, how do you apply this thing? I've been working with couples long enough to know one of the bottom line questions is this. Are you for your spouse or are you against your spouse? What's your posture toward them? And as long as you're both waiting for the other one to change first or at a stalemate, when you're not going to experience Christ-like health in your marriage, But we know, right, like we all struggle with this. We've gone through hard things. We're going through hard things. And none of us are walking this out perfectly, which is why this all comes back to Jesus. Notice Paul says here, for this reason, as he summarizes the chapter, for this reason a man will leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. Now, that's a crazy thing to say, right? Like, how do the two become one? Like, when Jill and I got married, how do we two, like, that didn't happen physically, right? We're not now one, like, big human mutant thing. Like, so what did that look like? And that's a mystery. Like, I don't know how that, and and how to walk that out that we now experience loving union where we're always delighting in each other and and loving each other, right? We're still miles away from that. So what does this mysterious union look like? And we know without Christ, there is no way we have a chance at walking in this kind of union, but the mystery actually is way deeper and bigger than any one marriage between a husband and a wife. Look at what he says in verse 32. This mystery is profound, but I am actually talking about Christ and the church. You see, our marriages are to be a whisper, a shadow of the deeper, sweeter, eternal union between God and humans. And as mysterious as it is to think how I can become one flesh with Jill, greater still is how can a holy God in whom there there dwells no darkness, how can that holy God become one in union with sinful humans only through the person and finished work of Jesus, amen? and this is the work of Christ. As a husband to a wife, he is still to this day washing us with his word, purifying us, removing the blemishes. That's our only hope we have of being able to love in this way, hey guys, not I but Christ and me as we'll sing. What a beautiful picture marriage can be of the deeper reality. Cuz listen, like no matter if you're married, you have been married, you, you Marriage is temporary. Jesus taught clearly there's no marriage in heaven. So the vast majority of our eternity future is not gonna be married. And there's like, you know, like Jill and I were in a good place and we were talking a couple nights ago. Like that's kind of a bummer thought in a way, right? Like I wanna be married to you. I don't want you walking around with some other guy in heaven starts looking at you. Like it's time to go, man. (laughs) I still got some work, but... but here's the picture. Like however, even maybe you are experiencing sweet intimacy with your spouse, That is a scratch of the surface of the intimate union we're going to have with Jesus and, listen, all of his bride one day for all days. Come, Lord Jesus. So what does this look like? I just want to give us one little snapshot as we close down here. I've been reading through, I've referenced a couple times, uh, Brian Chapel has um, a commentary on this. I've quoted him a couple times. And he gave this beautiful picture um, at, at, of what this kind of relationship can look like. So I just wanted to share with you here. He said, an elderly couple sat before me in church. They have been lifelong in the church and wed for more than 60 years The husband's Bible should be collected for a museum of the saints. He has taken and cross-indexed sermon notes in that Bible for most of the 60 years of the marriage. It is a masterpiece of his love for God and his word. Yet, despite that legacy of love for the Lord's word, the man has faced health challenges in recent years that have sometimes challenged his memory. On that particular Sunday, that the couple sat before me, he could not find the book of Esther when the pastor announced the text for the sermon. I watched him flip pages, look confused, and then turned more pages with a look of desperation growing on his face. His frantic motions caught his wife's attention. With a movement of her hand, as subtle as a whispered kiss, she reached over, turned his Bible to the appropriate page. Then, without looking at him, she smiled and patted his knee in reassurance. The gestures were so simple, but they well demonstrated a love that had matured in the Lord for more than 60 years. She used the gifts and abilities that were hers to help her husband to support him in worshiping his God. And to show respect for him even when his limitations meant that he no longer had deserved such honor. The gestures would have been easier if she had not strained to be so subtle. But her glory was his glory. Her goal was his glory and honor. In preserving that, she dignified herself and surely brought pleasure to God. Pray with me. Father God, Man, I know, I know, this is my family. Like I know these people. And I know that this land's hard for some people. I know those, those in this room that have been through divorce, have been through abuse, maybe are going through hard waters, or have hard waters to come. And so Father, we all come together into this hospital room in need of a Savior. And knowing that through the finished work of Christ, and that alone can he reconcile sinners to a holy God and make us one. And today, Lord, we declare the gospel truth that no matter what has been done or has been done to somebody in this room today, there is available to them forgiveness and healing and wholeness. And now in the person of Jesus, there is now no condemnation in Christ. And not only that, Father, but there is a path forward, no matter where we're coming from, to healing and wholeness. So, Father, I pray, I will pray that those in this room that need to believe that truth and have you lift their chin up would have that happen. Those that need to be convicted and challenged, Lord, that your word would do its deep, penetrating work to do whatever necessary to make that change starting today. But Father, we throw ourselves at the foot of the cross with an eye to the empty tomb to know the only way any of us in this room can love each other and what we just saw called to, the only way that any husband can love their wives and what was just laid out before us, that a wife could, loving her husband in the way that was just laid out for us is through Christ and Christ alone. So Father, we finish our time with our eyes off of ourselves and on the person and work of Jesus and declare in one voice As recovering sinners, yet not I, but through Christ in me. It is in the beautiful name of our good bridegroom that we pray. Amen.